So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and uh, just a little background here on, on this is probably a pretty well-known passage of Scripture, but just a little background on where Moses is at this point in his life. So many of you know the story of, of Moses, and it's, well, it's been well told through the years, but so tonight we just want to look at this, this one chapter, which is really a chapter of choices, and so we want to take a deep dive into the choices that God gives us. Um, so at this point, Moses is about 120 years old, and he's right up against the promised land. He's been wandering in the desert with his people for 40 years, and they're about to go into the promised land. But of course, um, due to Moses' lack of faith, and he got angry um, in front of the, uh, the people of God, and he, he took credit for, for bringing water forth at the desert of Zin, God said, Moses, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land with your people. And so... I think for all of us, if we did worked for 40 years in the desert and went through all that he went through, it would be heartbreaking not to be able to take your people into the promised land. But what we see from Moses is not a spirit of bitterness here. It's a spirit of, of finishing well. So he's 120 years old, and I'm sure God's putting on his heart that he's about to meet God face to face in eternity. So he's now, Moses is challenging and stirring all the people of Israel and getting them um, inspired to go into the promised land and to have courage. And so God raises up Joshua um, as, a, as a successor to Moses. And so instead of being Moses being bitter and angry towards God at the end of his life, he actually glorifies God and inspires the people of God. So we just want to learn a little bit about what's, what, what's happening in, in this chapter. Um, as everybody knows, we just celebrated Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to, to all of you fathers out there. Um, I just kind of thought, when, you know, in terms of preparing for this, that it might be fitting to uh, think of like a Heavenly Father's Day. So, you know, obviously you have earthly fathers that we give thanks for and you honor at one day a year, but really what would it look like for us to have a Heavenly Father's Day that we celebrate every day? And so in thinking about that, you think, okay, well, what would you get? A God who has everything, right? He has everything. Um, and so when you kind of think about what, what can we really give God? So this chapter really kind of tells us the, the answer, which we'll, we'll get into right now. So, so let's start in verse 1, chapter 30. It says, Now it shall come to pass upon you the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And so when we stop there in verse 1, the couple things that, that um, God reveals, it, it just says, you know, it talks about this covenant that God has that he's made with Abraham. Um, so hundreds of years earlier, he had a covenant with Abraham that said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and, and many nations will be blessed. And of course, Abraham didn't have any children. Him and Sarah were barren, and so God had to do a mighty miracle. So, so Abraham was advanced in age, and, he, and God gave him this covenant that you're going to be a, a father of many nations, that you're inheriting your... your um, your, your nation will be like the stars of the sky. You won't be able to number them. And so, so you've, you've got this covenant, this promise from God. And so there's kind of three covenants that God's making, kind of reiterating here in, in chapter 30. And one is the one that, that, that Abraham is actually going to have descendants. And, and you can see this now where you have this whole uh, Israelite, uh, Israel is, is going to become a nation and going to move into the, the, the promised land, number one. Number two, there was another covenant, which is the covenant of circumcision, which was for males to be separated, and that was a physical sign of their covenant with God. 
And then three now, you see the, the, the people of Israel ready to go right into the land and be blessed with this territory that they're about to go into. So again, God is a God of, uh, he keeps his word, he, he loves to bless, and he loves to um, provide that, that long-standing covenant that he cannot lie, he can't change, and he'll never forsake his people. So when, when Moses looks at this covenant, um, if you look at verse 2, it said, And you return the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, that you and your children with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And again, so he's kind of putting this choice between us, right? So if you look at, again, verse 1 is kind of that blessing and curse, not only for each person there, but each, even for their family, right? So, so now we kind of start to look at the two choices, right? So God is an awesome God, as everyone knows. He's a creator of heaven and earth, and he's awesome in all of his ways, and his knowledge is past finding out, but he's also a God of simplicity, which I love, because I'm a pretty simple guy. And so um, when you look at the, the, the two choices that we have tonight, God puts before us a door of blessing. So if you can picture two doors, door number one, door of blessing, door number two, door of cursing. The door of blessing, if we kind of go into that door, right? If we kind of explore what's behind the door of blessing, what is God offering to us? And what was he offering to the people of Israel back then? So when you look at the door of blessing, it's really a, a door of God's favor upon your life. So when you know that God loves you and you're in relationship with him and and Jesus Christ is your Savior, and you're, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God really promises you that love and peace and joy more than you can ever imagine, right? It's way more than the world can give. And so even his love is, is like nothing the world knows. It's unconditional, right? So there's nothing we can do to deserve it. And it's a sacrificial love. So he gives us his very best. And it's an everlasting love. We can never outrun his love no matter how far we go. And so, again, when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we fail, you know, when we know we've blown it, it's only a prayer away, just that forgiveness. And Jesus is always interceding for us. And so that's just kind of a, a quick overview of what the door of blessing reveals, right? Um, and it's not just about in this life, of the life of blessing and the life of peace that we have with, with the Lord. But what about the life to come? So again, if you go through the door of blessing, right, hand in hand with God, what does he promise us, not just in this life today, next week, next month, however long we have, but what about eternal life? And so if we go through that door with Jesus, right, in Revelation 3.20, he makes an urgent plea for everybody's heart, right? And he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. And so, again, Jesus has that, again, that call of blessing on our life, that he wants to have fellowship with us, like the God of the universe loves us and wants to have dinner or a meal with us. Um, and so that's how personal a God we serve is. And so, again, when we look through this door of blessing, it's not just for here and now to bless our families, to bless whatever we think we want to be blessed with, but it's also the world to come and, and eternal life. And so he, he also goes beyond just the, this, this current life, because I know a lot of, many of us this past year went through a lot of hardship and so forth. And so even in terms of eternal 
blessing, that door we go through with him. Um, Revelation 21, 3 and 4 gives us a, a glimpse of what it's like in heaven and how we're going to be delivered from the current pains and sorrows that we, we endure. It says, behold, the tabernacle with God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall, no, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. So again, it's, it's that comfort we have, that going through door number one, the door of blessing, is the door to choose. And so God's putting that before the people here as they were going, about to go in the promised land. And we tonight are about to go into the promised land as well, right into the presence of the Lord at some point. And so I believe God's saying to us, hey, choose the door of life, the door of blessing in life. The other option is <clears throat> he puts before the people of Israel, and he puts before us tonight the door of cursing and death, right? There's really only two choices. And so a, a life lived apart from God, we choose it. And so if we choose that life, as Jesus says in Matthew, anyone who's not with me is against me. So there's no real gray area in God's world, right? It's either you're for him or against him. You're either for Jesus or against him. And we can see by studying Deuteronomy and, and the Old Testament, the history of the Israelites, you know, those that were obedient to God and those who were faithful to God, those who were going to be cursed and, and choosing death, they were mar marked by a couple things. One was doubt, right? They, they constantly doubted God. They, they just, even though God delivered them through the Red Sea and there was amazing miracles and their shoes didn't wear out, they had bread from heaven, they had fire by day, because the desert was so um, cold at night, they would have frozen to death at night, and they would have uh, died of, of heat exhaustion during the day, so he put a pillar of cloud during the day to protect them. So he, he really provided for every need they had, and yet they would still doubt him um, it, time after time after time and complained. When they doubt God, then fear crept in. And then when fear creeps in, anxiety creeps in. And there was fighting within the camp. There was also disease. There was envy. They started to see some of the other kingdoms around the, the surrounding them that they wanted what they had. And so they started to adopt some of their idolatry practices. And, and so it was just, then they started losing battles. And again, again, that generation eventually died in the wilderness, right? God wouldn't allow them to go into the promised land because they just were so, they just complained. They were filled with doubt and fear and, and pride. And so God said, look, you know, if you choose door one, it's blessing. You walk with me, you'll walk to the promised land. But if you choose death and cursing, this is what it's going to look like. And so they all, those one, the, the people that did not choose him had a miserable exercise or existence. Um, I don't know of their eternal destiny. You know, God knows. But again, we, know, we can look back and we can always see those that walk with God in Scripture. They didn't have it easy. A lot of times they were persecuted, a lot of times they had troubles, but they had a joy that, that, that would never be extinguished. It was always an everlasting joy and a peace and a love they had about them. On the other hand, those who lived apart from God, we can see in Scripture, and even in our own lives, there's only misery, right? There's only a wake left behind people that don't truly follow God. And a lot of times that wake is characterized by, you know, it could be relational problems, other issues that come forth, but it's usually a wake that's not um, a pleasing to God, obviously. And so when we look down then, if, if we turn to verse um, 
3. You can follow along with 3. It says, Then the Lord your God will bring back you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So again, God is a God of promises. So again, he's brought all these people from Egypt <clears throat> all over the world now to be, go, they're, they're about to enter the promised land. And so God, every one of his prophecies is true. So if you look at all the hundreds or maybe even several hundred prophecies in scripture, they, every one of them comes true. So you know God can be trusted. And so this is another, another prophecy that God says that he's going to bring all the, the nation back together, right? And they're going to enter this land and the one thing I, I love about this verse, it says that God has compassion on us, right? Um, to know that our a God is so powerful, but also knows every problem in this room, every care that we have on our hearts, every grief we have, every problem, every sorrow we have, disappointment. God knows every single thing that's going on. He knows every atom and every cell in your body. Um, and so it's a comfort to know that he's the one in control and he loves you and is compassionate for you. And so as Psalm 103, you may have heard this many times, but it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers we're dust, right? He knows, I mean, God's all powerful. He knows we're dust of the earth. We're, we're here for a period of time. Then we'll be in his presence. So the thing I love about our God is he's a God of compassion and he loves you and he loves me and he, he cares about what's going on in our lives. So as we move on to chapter, I'm sorry, verse 4, it says, If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. <clears throat> and again, this is another picture of modern-day Israel. You figure modern-day Israel is a miracle, right? For thousands of years they weren't a nation. Then they were born one day in 1948, miraculously, by the hand of God, and and so he's brought people from all over the world back to the, to the, to the nation of Israel to this day, which is amazing. <clears throat> and then in verse 5, it says, it says, Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. So again, it continues that covenant of continuing. God just loves to bless his people, right? Loves to grow the flock of, of his children. And um, it's just great to see that his promises are everlasting, right? That promise he made to Abraham thousands of years ago. We wouldn't be standing here tonight if, if that promise wasn't true, right? So, so it's great how, again, his, his prophecy is we can rely on it. And so God, again, reaffirms this covenant, right? You kind of can see this theme throughout this chapter of, you know, he's going to bless his people. He's going to multiply his people. He's going to give his people their new territory and their land, and it says in verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your, all your soul that you may live. So when you look at that covenant of circumcision, again, it was an outward sign of being, belonging to God, but God is kind of turning it to inward, right? Um, and so what happens with our hearts, apart from Christ, is we, our hearts can get hard. We can just, um, you know, the cares of the world, Satan can kind of get in there and just give us a hard, calloused heart, losing our compassion, losing our zeal for God. And so we can build up a, a hard heart. And so here it's saying, okay, God's going to be cutting away that, that hardness, that, that outer shell, break through that outer shell, so that we can have a heart that's tender towards God. And, and so that's what he's looking for in, in, in today, and obviously back then when he was commanding his people to love him and to, 
to follow him. And then also he, he cares about the, the enemies, right? God is always, when you look at verse 7, it says, also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And so um, it's also good to know that God is protecting us, right? We have a lot of enemies. We have people that don't want to have us advance the gospel, don't want us to succeed, don't want us to stay married, don't want us to raise godly kids. You know, you can go on and on and on and on of all the enemies and all the opposition we have to be to follow Christ faithfully. But God does promise to protect us, right? And so um, our enemies do have boundaries and they do have consequences to what they're doing. And so God is aware of everything that happens to us and only allows our enemies to have so much advancement over what's going on. So it's also good to know he's in control of that. And it says in verse 8, and the Lord again will, and I'm sorry, and you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. And so this is just a great picture, I think, is a God who just joyfully loves to give to his children good gifts, right? When you you read this list, he wants us to abound in our work. He wants us to abound in the fruit of our body, right? So we have children, the increase of our livestock, the produce of our land for good, for the Lord will rejoice over you. So it's good to know that God has a generous heart, that he wants to give good gifts to his sons and daughters. And so, you know, in terms of us as believers, I guess in terms of as we draw closer to him, is just to be able to receive freely the gifts he gives us, to receive his inheritance, right, that doesn't corrupt, it doesn't defile, it doesn't fade away. And so hopefully tonight you just feel in your heart rejoicing that God wants to give you good gifts and he loves to bless his children. And so this verse just gives me a lot of encouragement that he's a God who loves to bless, he loves to give gifts. And early on we were talking about, okay, if we celebrated Heavenly Father's Day, what could we give him? But he doesn't seem to ever, he just wants to seem to bless. He does, he's always seems to be the gift giver and not the gift receiver. And so in other faiths, it seems like you have to do works, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to keep rising to a level of perfection before God will approve you. But it's just Amazing that our God just is a generous Heavenly Father that gives us all good gifts from above. And so now, as the older I get, it's almost like, Lord, I just want the gifts you give me from your hand. I don't, you know, in terms of the wanting what the world gives, it's just, it, it kind of loses its luster after a while. So it's like, okay, I just want what you have for me. And so in chapter, um, verse 10, it says, If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So now we're kind of getting to God's present. What does he really want for, for Heavenly Father's Day? He wants our heart and our soul, right? He wants our love. He wants our devotion. And so what's really kind of meant by the heart when you look at Scripture? Because, you know, the word heart's used all the time in Scripture. Uh, many, many times the word soul's used. But it seems like the heart really is the source, like the spring of your motives, where your motives lives, your desires, your passions, and the center of the thought processes, right? It's like the, where your conscience is, your morals. It's kind of your inner person. And so the heart kind of is a picture of, you know, as, as your heart and your body, it pumps blood out to the rest of your body, all your capillaries and your fingertips and everything. If you didn't have, if your heart didn't work, all the, these would 
your, your fingertips and so forth would lose, lose feeling and so forth. And so it supplies nourishment through the rest of your body, right? So when you look at the, the spiritual heart, if your heart's good spiritually, the Bible talks about bearing good fruit, right? You're going to see to the glory of God if your heart's in good, good functioning and you have a good spiritual heart. You're going to start to see fruit in your life, right? And it's not something you brag about. It's just something that, that God's, God's glorified in the process. And then on the flip side, if you have a bad spiritual heart condition, you're going to start to pump out poison, and you're going to kind of see that. Again, it goes back to the fruit that you'll see is you're going to kind of see what's, what's happening in fruit. So if there's relational strife, some other things that are going to be evident of, of that poison that's coming out. And again, the Bible is very clear. It's kind of either blessing or kind of poison, right? We're either going to give glory to God and live for him, or we're going to kind of produce a, a, a toxicity. There's no real, in scripture, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of room for gray or middle ground here. So again, God's calling us to that spiritual heart, to, to have that good, healthy spiritual heart that loves him and is devoted to him. Okay, so if you, if you look at chapter 10, I'm sorry, verse 10, I'm sorry, we already read verse 10, uh, verse 11, so it says, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, it's not far off, right? So this is great too, because we talked about the simplicity of God, this is not rocket science, um, this is pretty simple, right? God, we, I think everyone in this room knows God the choices that we have to make, the doors we have to go through, kind of door one, life and blessing, door two, death and cursing, right? It's pretty simple. Um, and even for little children, right, to understand that. Um, he makes it really simple for all of us to understand. And it says, it's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it, right? It's not, we, it's not way off in heaven that we, we, we need some, uh, you know, PhD in physics, or physics to, to understand it. You really understand it because it's so plain. It says, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it, right? So God's making the, the point that it's right here, kind of served up on a silver platter. Very easy to understand. <clears throat> it says, no, but the word of God is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. And so, again, this picture of the heart, right? Just being able to read his scripture and have it in your heart, not just in your mind, but actually deep in your heart, that you may actually do it. And so I think if anyone here is a parent, we know that when, when kids are little, when they say, yes, dad, or yes, mom, it's like music to your ears, right? And when they say no, it's like, whoa. Um, and I think God's the same way. It's, you know, when we say yes, father, I'll do what you want me to do. We also can say no, father, I'm not doing that. And so I think that same reaction he gives us that choice, right? And so it's, it's great to see that he says in, in verse 15, it says, again, he sets it before us. It says, see, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. <clears throat> and it says, and that command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And here's the warning. But if your heart turns away, that you do not hear, and you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. So the, here's the risk, though, and I think everybody, if they've walked, been walking with the Lord, or maybe if you're not walking with the Lord right now, the risk is that you can trust Jesus as Savior, you could walk with him, but then we can cool, right? And there's a lot of warnings in Scripture about cooling with our faith. Um, and so a lot of times 
as it says here, you start to follow other gods, other idols, and they start to creep in. And a lot of times the idols don't, don't just barge in right into your living room. They kind of creep in slowly and start to take over. <clears throat> and so these things start to replace God as number one place in our lives, right? And so, so this is what God's warning against. And we know that Satan loves to kill, rob, and destroy God's people, right? He does not want us to spend time with God or honor him. <clears throat> so we're going to face all kinds of temptation in this life. So John, 1 John 2.16 says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so those are the things that Satan seems like he's same playbook for thousands of years. <clears throat> lust of the flesh. We, I want what I want. I'm not going to be happy until I get it. The lust of the eyes. I see what I want. I, I'm not going to be happy until I get it. And the pride of life. Bragging about what I have, what I do. That's not of the Father, but is from the world. And so same playbook, right? Satan tempted Jesus with those same three things when Jesus was in the desert. Um, but later in that same chapter, 1 John 2, verse 17, says, the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever, right? There, there again, it goes back to the love of God, and do we follow him through this life and right into eternity, which will abide forever? So, <clears throat> verse 18, it says, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish, that you shall not prolong your days in the land which you will cross over the Jordan to go in and possess, right? So there again, it talks about not just eternal consequences, but even immediate consequences, right? There was, a, there was an immediate consequence for not following God to, to, to reward them for going into the promised land. And I've heard this, and I don't know where this quote came from, but it's kind of a good quote. It's like, God will not bless sin, right? He does not want to build his kingdom on top of sin. So why would he bless someone to go into the promised land where he made a promise, it was an oath, and he takes it very seriously. Why would he bless someone to let them go into that land if they're knowingly rebelling against him, serving other gods and, and, and being in, serving in an idolatrous kind of way? He's just not going to bless sin. And so Moses then said, okay, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Again, it's another choice. He, he keeps repeating the same theme as you can tell. It's, it's really important to Moses. And to God, right? It says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. So when we look at that, right? Another, another exhortation to choose life. This is what God's heart is, right? The heart cry of our heavenly father. When you really think about it, what does he really want from us? He wants us to choose life, right? He wants us to do, choose Jesus. He wants us to be filled with his spirit. And so it's not a difficult choice, right? It's not, we don't have to give up anything. We get everything by choosing life. And so in verse 20, it says that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which your, your, the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to give them. And so again, you know, we talked about what can you give a God who has everything. Um, he really wants our heart, and he wants our love, our obedience. Um, he just wants us to, again, fellowship with him, to have a God that actually wants to spend time with us. And so a couple of things that in this verse that I really loved was one is he, he, uh, 
He wants us to cling to him, right? That's kind of holding on to him, never letting him go. I remember our, our, when our kids were little, we had four kids about a year apart, so if I went away on a trip or a business trip, they would, like gra- they would grab around my ankles, and then I'd walk, and then they would walk with me and swing. And um, it was just a, it was a great feeling. I just didn't want them to, to let go of me. Um, so it was, it, was, it was just that picture, like, do we really do that with God? Um, and so, again, that picture of God's choice of being a door, right, of, of having that choice is, is described in, in Jesus, or Jesus describes it in John chapter 10. So verse 7, um, I don't know if you, if you can turn there. So it's John chapter 10, because I'll read a little bit from there. I'll give you a second to turn. But um, Jesus is, is talking about the sheep, right, that we're sheep, and he's the good shepherd. And so he's using that analogy. And um, he, he, again, wants to sh- share with us how much he loves us, how much a shepherd cares for the sheep, that he'll lay his life down for the sheep. And so in verse 7, it says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief that does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they have may, may have life, and they have, may have it more abundantly. And so again, there's that picture of Jesus being the door, right? If we only go through that door, let him in, have our heart, we have that life and life abundantly that, that we talked about. And then if you, if you go down to, to verse 25, this is a picture of him holding on to our hand, right? We're in God's hands always, and says, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither, any, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so, oh, it says, and, and my Father and I are one. So here's again that picture of, of Jesus having us in his hand, the Heavenly Father having us in his hand. So I guess the big question for us tonight is, what about you? What about me? Are you in the Father's hands tonight? Are you trusting him with your whole heart? Or do we hold some of our heart back? You know, maybe for some of the other things that we want to serve or do? Are we obeying his commands? Or do we just kind of treat them as suggestions? And do we really believe that Jesus died for our sins and saved us for all, to, all eternity, right? So the, the question here is, is the gift we can give our Heavenly Father then is giving him our heart, right? Giving our heart to Jesus and being filled with Holy Spirit. And if we get that, then we get the blessing of knowing God gave, again, this gift that again, is precious. It's cost him everything to give his son. And if we choose him, we choose life and blessing. So let's pray.